Welcome back to the Vela News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Vela News, uh, and I am sitting across the table from Mr. Andrew Hood. Hey, Hoodie, we're finally in the flesh. We are here indeed. We're uh, we're in the, uh, some gymnasium in the middle of some random high school in the middle of some random village, but man, it's in the middle of Flanders. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're coming to you from Harlbecka, which is a small industrial town about uh, thirty-five minutes outside of Ghent. And when you come over here for the Spring Classics as a journalist, you tend to find yourself in junior high school gymnasiums. Often, that's what they tend to use as the media rooms for these races. And right now. We are squirreled away in like it, it looks like shop class, doesn't it? There's like a there's a, there's like machinery, and some, some band saws, band saws and stuff. So Hoodie and I are in a junior high school shop class that's attached to the gymnasium where the press room is, and we just finished uh, watching the E3 Bink Bank race, formerly the uh, E3 Harlbecka. I, I don't even know what the race is named this year, uh, but it is sort of the the kickoff for this awesome run of racing because we're here in Belgium for the spring classics, cobblestones, rain, baguettes, chocolate, all that good stuff. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, E3, the race itself. We're going to be previewing Ghent Wevelgem and we're just going to be talking about, we have some major love, man. I love these races. I, I can't tell you, Hoodie, how psyched I am to be sitting across from you right now in the middle of Flanders in shop class. Yeah, you really picked up that vibe really all over the Peloton today among the journalists. Everyone's psyched. The fans are out there drinking beer, uh, you know, crowded around the team buses this morning at the sign in and the start. You know, today was it was almost springtime. I was like, what, which country am I, am I in? Because it was so sunny, so springy, so warm. But some nasty gunk is, is uh, flying in this weekend. So we'll be back into some real serious Belgian classic yeah, weather. It wasn't too Belgian-y classic today. But I, you know what? I'm not going to complain. I, uh, I kind of enjoyed having the short sleeves on, walking around, seeing the crowds, having a good time in the sun. Although I'm with you. It didn't, you know, the, the usual Flanders bike race cr- crowd, um, you might describe it as uh, over-served. Uh, usually <laughs> today, see people seem to be pre- keeping it to a dull roar. You know, maybe it's because it's Friday and they're gearing up for a long re- uh, weekend of like bike racing and partying. But I, I don't know. What did you see? Well, when I was out there at the team buses this morning, the, the fans were getting into it. Though I was, I was out by uh, uh, the Bora bus waiting for Sagan, and of course there was a whole line of fans, kind of the gauntlet by you know some, one of the neighbors. I think it was like a gas station was converted into an outdoor tent in a bar, and people were just throwing down the, the beers. You know, at six, five and a half, six percent, these beers make you feel pretty jolly, pretty fast in the morning <laughs> on an empty stomach. And every time a rider would go by, it'd be uh, Oliver Nason, and be like, "Ollie, Ollie," you know, Greg Van Avermaet right by, Greg, Greg, Greg. So the fans were getting into it, and it's, it's you know that's what makes this special just to be here. This time of year, it's like, it's just, you know, you just feel it in the air. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of uh, my friends and people I'll meet in the bike world will ask me about the Tour de France. Hey, what tour stage should I go see? I want to go check out the tour. I want to check out European racing. And I always stop and I say, no, you should go to Belgium, to Flanders for the classics. Because it's just, it's hard to describe, but it's just like the happy, jolly, it's it's the attitude of the people. Like, everyone is really happy that the bike races are going on. They're happy that you're here in America. And, oh, an American. Oh, they're, you're here for the bike races. That's great. Like, the guy checking my passport at the Brussels airport was psyched that I was coming in into town for the Tour of Flanders. And so it really is this indescribable joy. And as a journalist who covers bike racing in the States, you know, sometimes you're some of these races. And it's, a, it's an inconvenience. Not, not very many people there and people are kind of bummed out 
And uh, coming over here kind of reminds you uh, of what you, what you do. But um, let's get into it, man. Like we're gonna be, you know, we're we're Friday, so we're a few days away from Gent Wevelgum. Gent Wevelgum is the big kickoff race. You know, it, it you know it to get, win Gent Wevelgum means a lot. So we're gonna be talking about uh, Gent Wevelgum and previewing that race a bit. But you know, before we get into that, let's let's talk about E three today. You know, E three is sort of this miniature tour of Flanders. It's a five-hour race, 200 kilometers, takes in a lot of the same bergs. You know, you're looking at the Paderberg, the Ode Quermont. And to me, it's always, you know, it means a lot to win this race, but the way it's raced seems to be a little bit different than we see at Flanders. How would you describe the the unique flavor of uh, E3, the race hoodie? Yeah, that's right. It used to be slotted in really, it was the Friday before Flanders. So that's why all the tension and the hype was around it because then Ghent used to be between uh, Flanders and Roe Bay. So they kind of jigged up the schedule a few years ago. And part of that is they've actually made this race harder than it used to be. It used to be not as hard as it is now, simply because now you have more climbs, more bergs, and, it, and they've taken the, the course onto these smaller farm roads. We saw, you know, there's been some crashes in this race in the past. Today was pretty good weather. Didn't see too many crashes. It wasn't very windy either. But we saw Seb Van, Ar- Van Mark from uh, Education First end up in a ditch. And there's a lot of questions right now about what his Spring Classics campaign looks like. But the race is, I mean, I think you were talking to Heinrich Hausler before the, the race today, and he gave a good summation of what this race is like. Yeah, he said he thinks it's harder than Flanders, um, which surprised me because what he said was, well, you know, Flanders, you have the first hundred kilometers of like, uh, you know. Just goes out to the coast, yeah. it comes back. It's, it's just a- flat roads, it's just miles, whereas E3 starts off with the climbs. You get into the the meat of the race really quickly. So, you know, it's only 200K, only 200K, it's 200K, so it's an hour shorter than Flanders, but the pain starts earlier. So he was saying he thought that this race was harder because the pain goes all day long. And, you know, I feel like that impacted the dynamic of the race, which is that we saw guys really starting to throw haymakers at like 80k out you know we saw Peter Sagan accelerate on one of the early bergs and have some of his teammates go to the front and you know to me that was that was a real telltale sign like oh maybe Peter Sagan has something up his sleeve maybe he's feeling feeling pretty good but as it turns out a few you know you know 20 30 kilometers later uh, he didn't look so fresh anymore uh, so Hoodie, it really looked like Greg Van Avermaet was the aggressor today. It looked like he was the one that was doing a lot of the accelerations to break up the group. Yeah, Greg Van Avermaet, he's been racing pretty uh, uh, obsessed so far, the Spring Classics. He hasn't got that win. And for a rider like Van Avermaet, you know, you only have these five, six, seven days out of the whole season really to get that big win. So the pressure is always on these guys. And that's why it is just balls to the wall racing. It's what makes the classic so good in, in, in the first place. Um, but you saw him really take control of that chase. You know, he had uh, Bob Jungles up the road and that kind of good early breakaway. And Van Avermaet was the guy who really took control, the responsibility of that chase. He looked around. He saw no one really wanting to do that work, and he just put his hammer down and dropped the hammer and went for it. And, you know, that's that that shows a few things. One, that he's feeling really good, but maybe he doesn't quite have the team around him that he needs to be able to really take on quick step. Yeah, you know, I asked him about it at the finish line. I sat down with him. I said, oh, you know, like, how's this bode well, you know, bode for the rest of the class? He said, I'm finally, finally getting into the form where I want to be. You know, we saw him a couple watts short where he wanted to be at like Milan San Remo and some of the early races. He said, ah, I'm getting into form. But yeah, I asked him that question too. Hey, uh, you know, quick step's real strong. 
you guys uh, don't have uh, quite as many cards to play. Do you feel like something's missing from your team? And he did the diplomatic thing. I mean, he has to. He said, oh, no, you know, our team's great. And, you know, our team is is doing exactly what we need to do. But it really did become evident in a race like this that, uh, you know, CCC, he's, he's their card. There's no other card. Yeah. And really, when it comes down to the pointy end of the race, there's no other teammate there to really help him. Whereas by contrast, holy cow, Takuna Quickstep, I mean, we say this year in, year out, like they they live for these races, they have the cards to play, but we, they added a whole new card this year That's in right. freaking Bob Youngles. I mean, Hoodie, you talked to Bob Youngles at the, at the end of the race. He went on this ginormous breakaway that really just, it made the race, set up the, the you know, totally altered the dynamics of the race. And, uh, you know, what did Youngles have to say about this move? Yeah, he, he was pretty happy at the finish line. He was kind of a late addition, really, to the whole Northern Classics part of the campaign for, for this team because, you know, obviously he is a Liège, best-known Liège winner, and he's, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's an Ardennes kind of rider. But uh, when Terpster was gone, they had kind of a hole there for a kind of guy who could just kind of just drill hard at the front as well as be aggressive in these kind of scenarios. And he delivered that huge win at Kern Brussels Kern a few weeks ago to open up that kind of uh, quick step sweep of the Belgian calendar opener. And man, he was out there today. And, you know, the the quick step has that ability just to play their cards perfectly. Because the scenario is, yeah, you get a guy up front up the road, takes the pressure off you not to chase. But when you have a guy up the road who actually can win the race, that changes everything because other teams had riders there, but no one really expected all of those other kind of second fiddle players to actually have a chance to win out of a breakaway. And then uh, Jungles just goes in that uh, goes into time trial mode, and he was nursing almost a minute lead with 30Ks to go. And a rider like that with not a lot of win today, you know, maybe he could have stayed. That's why you saw guys like Van Avermaet and Wout Van Aert really put the hammer down to try to close that gap down because you couldn't give another 10Ks to Jungles. You know, he might have just stayed away and won. And that's where Quickstep, you know, they came into last year's Classics kind of wondering what's going to happen after Bonin. And, you know, they just they just kind of played the team card. And we're seeing that again where they just got so many cards to play that, okay, we have you covered in the breakaway. And then we got Steve R sitting on the wheel. Or, you know, who's, who's coming behind? They had Lampard and that other group behind coming up. So, you know, they're looking hard to beat. And I think that uh, that's going to be really that dynamic going into the rest of this week. Now, Jungles is not doing the full classics, correct? He's doing, he's doing Dwarves and Flanders, skipping Robay, skipping Ghent, and doing back to Liège. So, I mean, in something like Flanders, he could be another really valuable asset as that early move. I think the really interesting thing to me is that, you know, traditionally we had seen Stebar, Stenek Stebar playing the role of the early move as the danger man who's having to go put in these accelerations with like 70K to go. Sometimes he'd get into a breakaway. A lot of times he would just get chased down. But now that role seems to have changed. And so we saw this with Jungles. He goes on the long range attack, bridges up to the breakaway, drops a lot of the breakaway, is out there by himself, forces Van Avermaet and these guys to start chasing. And what does that mean for Stebar? Free ride Falls all the, the way, all the way to the finish. And I talked to both Van Avermaet and Wout Van Aert, and they both said the same thing. The difference today was that Zdenek Stebar got to sit in the wheels for 25K. He didn't put his nose in the wind. And you know, normally I feel like in a sprint between Greg Van Avermaet and Zdenek Stebar, you're choosing Greg Van Avermaet. I think we all remember Pyre Roubaix a few years ago when Van Avermaet dusted him. But you know what? If Stebar isn't having a pull, 
Ah, that's he's pretty fresh. He's pretty fresh. He's pretty fresh coming in. That was the big. There that was, was there the was advantage a, today. There was an odd kind of wrinkle there in the end when when Steve Barr did kind of attack like in the last five Ks. He did kind of a pull, and there were some comments from Patrick Lefevre, the team boss, kind of criticizing uh, Steve Barr, saying you got to have more confidence in your sprint at that position of the race. I think maybe Steve Barr, you know, he's kind of you know got the big win at Omloop to open up this season, but you know he's kind of had that weight on his back that he hadn't got that big win yet. And here he was in his dreamlike scenario that he, you know, he had suddenly, you know, once they caught Jungles, you know, he had to win, right? So I think at that point he got a little bit nervous and said, well, man, maybe if I can just go here with 5Ks to go however far it was, you know, lose, lose one of these guys like Wout Van Aert or maybe, uh, maybe Van Avermaet, that's going to like just assure my chances of winning even better. But that could have backfired against him because that was a little bit of an effort that he put in that might have cost him in the sprint but in the end it worked out but you had to wonder there like maybe Steve Hart, you know, wasn't quite as comfortable in that position as he should have been because he should have just followed the wheels all the way in right yeah I was also really impressed with uh, Wout Van Aert um, so I talked to Wout at the finish line and you know he he made the selection when Van Avermaet went on the Paderberg he followed Van Avermaet when Van Avermaet went on the Quermont and then on the final climb when we saw Van Avermaet make that huge acceleration which you know what dropped Oliver Nason it dropped Mateo Teo Trenton, it dropped Peter Sagan, some of these really seasoned racers, and Wout was just right there on the wheel. And uh, yeah, Wout said the same thing. Look, you know, he, um, you know, Steve Barr was fresher, and so Wout had been pulling through for those last 35Ks. He also said that, because uh, I asked him, you know, you're getting so close in these races now. Um, what's the difference in a race like this? What, uh, what do you need to do to get over the line first? And he said, well... He feels like his sprint may play into it in that he he normally has a really good sprint, but it's a cyclocross sprint, means you're, which means you're starting from very low speed and then getting up to high speed. Whereas a sprint like we saw today or like we saw at Milan San Remo, these guys are coming in like 60K an hour. It's a very high speed sprint where you're having to accelerate from a high speed to a higher speed. And he feels like he has a disadvantage at that and that maybe is something where he needs to work on. But holy cow, second year yeah. of riding on the road, and he's like making the final selection at hard races like this. That, yeah. That's really impressive. What's not to be impressed about? Wow. I mean, he came out last year, came out really just gangbusters, you know, surprised a lot of people. And uh, I mean, personally, I thought maybe he'd kind of have a little bit of a sophomore jinx coming into this classic season. But look the way he's been riding. I mean, Strada Bianchi, Milan San Remo, and then today, you know, I think the win, he's got the win in his legs. I've just been impressed at the depth he has at his age, coming really coming across from cyclocross, like where you just ex- described those kind of more intense efforts but man he can redline it for like an hour so if he can redline it for an hour after racing five hours in Flanders and then have that extra kick at the end of that you know we're talking earlier about how the monuments are that longer distance that's really the big winning difference uh, the big difference between some of these races and I just see this guy he's his sky's the limit for a wow and people keep talking to me about how tactically he picks up all of these tactical nuances every race um, his teammate Mike Tunison, I spoke to him before the race and I said, Hey Mike, you know, like you're racing with Wout. Where does Wout, what is, where does he still, what does he need to do? You know, like what does he need to do to get over the line and finally win one of these races? And he said, well, you know, he doesn't make the same mistake twice. Mm. He makes the mistake once and then doesn't do it again, which for some of these guys takes years to learn the nuances of a final group or learn the nuances of a final sprint. Whereas he says, you know, Wout, like at uh, Milan San Remo, he had never even reconned the Poggio. And here he goes, makes the final selection. And yeah, he didn't do a sprint right, but he's just like, he's never going to make that mistake. So, well, then, Eric Strong, smart, handsome, 
good breath. Is he handsome? I'm sure he can sing. Maybe he can tap dance. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, my guess is that by this point, Wild Van Aert has so many talents that we don't know of. You just you just do anything with him, and he'll uh, he'll find a he'll way to succeed. Well, yeah. yeah. So you know, it was it was a a good day of racing out there. And hoodie, one thing that I think about with this E3 Harabeka E3 Bink Bank is something that you wrote a story about today on Velonews.com, which is that it is this harbinger of the classics. By and large, what you see at this race today um, is going to be what you see throughout the next two weeks. So you talk to a bunch of different people. What can you share about what this race means for the classics going forward? Yeah, the big takeaway in that kind of angle is if you're not there today, it's gonna be real hard to be there when it counts again, Van Flanders or Roubaix. You know, maybe you can miss miss the move today if it was for uh, maybe a tactical mistake or, or maybe you had, you know, a mechanical problem. We saw Sagan have some struggles there late in the race today. You know, I wasn't quite sure if that was truly a mechanical problem or maybe he was kind of just kind of covering up a little bit and he's not maybe feeling so great. But, uh, you know, it, this is the race where everyone's firing at full cylinders right now. There's no catching up from here, right? I mean, you got, you got these big races coming up within a week, uh, 10 days to two weeks. So there's no more training, there's no more recovery. It's like you're there or you're not. And that's what we saw today. I think we saw really, there was that one moment about 30 Ks to go, Youngles was up the road. Sagan kind of pulled up and just looked around and I think he was like just saying, you know, who are these guys that I'm gonna be racing against these next few weekends? And you saw guys that were there, it was kind of surprising, like uh, Trentin is looking very good. Uh, some of these other riders that, you know, kind of coming up, Ken Kler, uh some other strong riders who, weren't there quite at the very end, but they were there in that kind of first major selection. And I think that's what was revealing about this race. And then there was a few names who weren't there that were kind of surprising. Uh, Christoph, I thought we'd go better today. He said it's not really a great race for him anyway, this, the way that kind of the parkour is. But, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is like, a, you know, this is like serious business now. Every race counts, every move counts. You know, where was Gilbert? Maybe he was, uh, he kind of, maybe he's just, you know, keeping his powder dry. He had his teammates up the road. He's like, okay, I'm going to save my legs for Flanders. Yeah, because I remember the year that Gilbert won. He did really well in this race. I think he was second. He made the final group with Greg Van Avermaet, and Van Avermaet ended up winning. But it was one of those moments where you're like, whoa, Gilbert is going really good on the cobblestones. Yeah, when I think of, you know, like you said, this race... Uh, tells us who are the who the major players are going to be over the next two weeks, and so obviously we're going to have uh, Greg Van Avermaet. We're going to have Stenik Stibar, among other quick step favorites. Uh, we're going to have uh, Wout Van Aert, um, yeah, Betiol from EF Education First. Boy, that was a name that I didn't expect to see in the uh, top five. Alberto Betiol making that final group. I talked to him at the finish line, and he said that, you know, the torch was really passed to him when Sepp Van Mark crashed. And, you know, he was one of the cards to play along with Sepp and uh, Sebastian Langeveld. But uh, he's he's obviously going good. Uh, Oliver Nason. You know, he didn't make the final selection on the climb, but he was right there with Matteo Trentin. But you know, a name that I expected to see up there who wasn't there was Nikki Terpstra, defending champion. And you know, it's, it's you, these things happen when you, a guy makes a move from a big, powerful, quick step team onto a smaller team. But like, yeah, Terpstra. Not there. What do you, you make of that? You can imagine. You can imagine Patrick Lefevre be, uh, greedily uh, rubbing his hands, going, <laughs> "I told you not to take the big money and leave me, because now you win nothing." 
So we will see what happens with Herbstra. He was kind of there. He had some teammates sticking in the nose out early in some of the moves. But I think he came across in 15th place today. You know, Terpster, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how he goes actually in these next few big races because, you know, he had such a spectacular season last year, really at the benefit of being on quick steps. So the pressure is on him to get something. You know, I think he was at the top three at, uh, at uh, one of the opening weekend races in Belgium. So, you know, he's got the quality in the class, but man, I think that will say a lot about how much a quick step, just the depth they have can really lift a rider. You know, Hoodie, you talked about it before, but Peter Sagan, let's have a little quick conversation about him. So Peter Sagan made the front group. We know he's pretty good. He made that uh, final selection at Milano San Remo, but it was with about 25 Ks to go on the final climb. Was it the Tienberg or the Blobenberg? One of the Bergs. One of those Bergs. Birds or Bergs? Yeah, exactly. Van Avermaet makes this big acceleration on the front and the camera pants to the back and we see Peter Sagan sort of pedaling his bike real slowly, but kind of monkeying around with his bike and looking down at the gearing and, uh, you know, he... He, he pedaled to the top of the climb and then the second group caught him and he slotted into the second group and continued to race. And at first I thought, ah, this is biological. He got popped and he got a little bit of time to recover and the second group caught him and he was fine. Afterwards though, you talked to him. What did old Peter Sagan have to say? Yeah, the team was insisting that he had a mechanical problem caused by uh, one of his rivals just throwing a water bottle off the, oh, through the feed zone. Hate it when that happens. Hate it when that happens. You know, hit hit the derailleur and couldn't get out of the eleven. That's what Peter was saying. And you kind of see, you can see his cadence jumping back and forth. He go from the big ring to the small ring, and you could see his pedal speed was just changing there. So maybe it's true. You know, the, the mechanic leaned over and kind of magically fiddled with it, and boom, when he was back into. Uh, back into a uh, full range of gear movement there. Um, but Sagan, he said that he typically does not go well in this race after San Remo. Because when he won this race, I think it was in 2014, it was a little bit, uh, I'm not quite sure if there was the calendar had changed at that point or not, but he typically says he goes much better in Ged Velgovem, which is on Sunday, which he's won three times now in his career. So we'll see. I mean, you're right. I mean, he was there in San Remo, he's there today. But we haven't seen that kind of brilliance. You know, even when he's accelerating today in one of the climbs, uh, uh, you know, he's getting swarmed, you know, at a certain point. And maybe, you know, maybe he was just testing himself. So, but Sagan, you can never count him out even last year when he was kind of writing him off and then boom, he wins Ginvelgovim and boom, he wins Bay. So, you know, Sagan's a guy who rises to the occasion. You know, he'd make a big mistake to count out Sagan. Yeah, still though, all those masters racers out there, amateur racers, you know what? I think today we learned a little bit, uh, a little, little, little like gamesmanship. Just throw that water bottle into the derailleur of your competitor. You're good <laughs> to go. Work. That would work. No, please don't do that. Definitely don't do that. But still, you know, if if that's true, we learned the way the way to stop Peter Sagan. Chuck a water bottle into his gearing. It only goes to 11. It only goes to 11. So, Hoodie, looking forward, we have Gent Wevelgem in two days. I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to this over the weekend, probably uh, Friday evening or Saturday. And, you know, first of all, what does this, um, you know, looking, looking at Gent Wevelgem, what do we know about the course? What do we know about the dynamics of the race? This race can become, it can come down to a sprint. It can come down to a small group. What do we think are going to shape the dynamics on Sunday? Yeah, when Gint Vuggelman got the World Ta- Tour status a few years ago, you know, when they did move it to the Sunday uh, spot on the, on the calendar from that mid-ray, mid-week slot when it used to be between Flanders and Roubaix, they kicked up the, the mileage quite a bit. I mean, it used to be 2.220. Now uh, the race on Sunday is, uh, I think, 2.67. 
Yeah, man, that's 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 like monument length. That makes the race that much harder. I mean, it used to be the kind of used to be called the classics monument. You know, the classics, uh, Flanders classic, sprinters classic. And you know, you used to see guys like Greg uh, or Oscar Freire win it. You know, Cipollini and those kinds of guys. And Pataki's, you know, were always kind of winning that race. Uh, Kemmelberg is the big feature of that race. Uh, they've even kind of changed that. They used to take the guys down those, <laughs> you know, it was like the, the luge run down the, down the cobblestone descent. I remember that one year, it was 2007 oh, around there yeah. and Tyler Farah crashed and Jimmy Casper. It was just carnage. It was, uh, you know, dozens of guys crashed because they were just flying down this cobblestone descent, you know, 70, 80 K an hour. And uh, people were just, just uh, hurting themselves in ways. They don't that, do that anymore. They don't do that Smartly. anymore. So they kind of rerouted that. So a little bit safer a race. I mean, the big factor there really is, I think, is the weather. Uh, we were talking to some sport directors today. They think if the forecast stays the way it was today, it could be a pretty big group. I mean, for a sprint. But if it, the wind kicks up, maybe a little sloppy, that's what's going to make this race harder. Yeah, this is an interesting race. It's in West Flanders. It takes in the West uh, Flanders Hills, but it gets real close to the North Sea, and so you see winds, and if it's rainy, it gets nasty, and yeah, the, the kind of rule of thumb is that if it's a nice day, it's going to be a bunch sprint, and if it's a crappy day, it's going to be ones and twos. I think we all remember, like, uh, Luca Paulini pulling the hard man move on that rainy day and winning, and, you know, we've seen small groups Riders getting line. blown into the ditch. Riders <laughs> getting blown into the ditch. So right now, it sounds like it might be a little, maybe overcast, maybe a little rain, but probably not terrible weather so we could see uh, a sprinter's race you know it come down to a sprint and if that's the case I mean we're going to be talking about the defending champion Peter Sagan Elia Viviani uh, Dylan Gronewagen could be in there uh, Fernando Gaviria these are all names that could factor into the race um, and between those you know you might you probably want to say Gronewagen is fastest right now but we don't know how his legs are going to function after that distance of racing who who do you have your eyes on that's a big question with him as well i mean he raced san ramo last week longest race he's done in his career he hasn't really done those longer races so this is kind of new territory for him in in these northern classics that's where his future is i mean he i think this guy is class class sprinter he's obviously really uh stepped up again this year just a progression and i was kind of surprised that Viviani was not quite as sharp as he was uh, starting out this season. You know, had the great season last year, just barely missed the win last year. Again, Valguam, that was one of his big targets last year and lost in that tearful loss to Sagan where he just pipped him there at the end and, and Viviani collapsed, you know, really. You know, I thought people were kind of giving him a hard time calling him a crybaby, but I thought I was like just a really honest expression of his emotions when he, you know, you know as an Italian sprinter, you know, San Remo and Gent Vogelbaum are the two big races you can dream, dream to win in your career. And to come so close to it and to lose it. And he just kind of, you know, he just kind of lost it and just started crying. And I th- I've cried for much less than that, hoodie. <laughs> I've cried for much I less. I cried that than. when I lost a document in Word. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I cried when the stocks crashed uh, a couple months ago. But uh, uh, so Viviani... But he's, he's hard to read right now, so we'll see. But it, it, that's, those are the usual suspects. Yeah, well, I mean, that's going to be the big race. We're going to be doing a podcast afterwards for Monday, breaking down all the action from Ghent Wevelgem. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up here. But, you know, Hoodie, you had a great chat with Andreas Clear, who was, you know, he raced these races for many years. He is now a sport director at EF Education First. What, what's, what's old Andreas talking about with these races? Yeah, Andreas Clear is he's, he's an interesting character. He's he's kind of uh, 
kind of uh, considered almost like a magician or kind of one of these gurus when it comes to the spring classics. You know, he's he's kind of speaks in these mystical tones and uh, and I always enjoy chatting with him every year in the spring classics. And uh, yeah, he won Gen Velvum. He was he was always kind of a contender, you know, top tens in all these races. Uh, and now he's been working with the, the the guys over there at Education First. And uh, they were, you know, this morning they were real optimistic about what was going to happen with Sep. And then, man, literally with an hour or two after our conversation, Sep was in a ditch. We're hoping that he's not going to be too seriously injured. We're still waiting to actually hear an update on his condition. But, you know, they have a little bit, you know, they're always kind of underestimated over there at that team. You know, they've had some big results over the years in the Northern Classics, and Clear has been a big part of that. So uh, let's hear what he had to say. So this race, uh, Harold Becker, it kind of really is a, uh, sets the tone for, really for going into Flemish Week. Mm-hmm. How, how big is this race in terms of seeing who is going to be the big players at uh, Flanders and Robeck? And um, with the changes of the parcours over the last years, uh, making it more and more difficult, more and more tricky, harder. There's not such a big uh, difference anymore between this race, uh, Duasdo Flanders or Flanders itself. The only difference which will be made in between the cycles is the distance, right? Uh, if you win Harald in a 200-kilometer race, doesn't mean that you can win a 250 race. Doesn't have actually nothing to do with Flanders itself. Uh, Gentwevelgem to win Gentwevelgem is also, also not easy. Uh, same for Roubaix, right? So um, I would say it's a good. Um, after today's race, we know where we stand. So the same question from before, if you would ask me tonight, probably going to be easier to answer. Um, but you are right. If you if you fail here, it's not a good indicator for the upcoming stuff. Because this race has become more difficult. It's like a mini Tour of Flanders, they call it. What makes this race different? You said the distance, you know, 50 at a less hour, less of racing. But is, aren't the roads a little bit more narrow on this course compared to Flanders? I mean, some of the roads are just these little back alley farm roads. It's super difficult, the race. And I only can say the distance is the only thing which makes a difference between that race and Flanders itself. So it's, it's a beauty of a race, same as Flanders. But um, you are right. And Flanders, you're cruising a while on bigger roads. Uh, also in the beginning and in, in the middle, actually, also around the, the Quaremont there. But that's not, that's not the real difference. I think it's the distance. The distance. Yeah. What is that difference? I mean, you have that, the monument distance, you know, over two... 30, 240, 260. How big of a difference is that in terms of just what you need to be able to win a race that long? I think you should ask first 15 people who finished San Remo. They will let you know. You will have people who say, I felt great on the Chipress, I don't know why I dropped out on the Poggio. And if you take uh, the microphone and ask exactly those riders, then they maybe find the right words. But that's basically what it is. It's like a handful of people can win. Have you another minute? Um, you can you can find a handful of people, a s- small group of favorites who can win Flanders, San Remo, uh, and Co. Right? And you probably can make a much wider group of people who can win today and Vasto, Flanders, and Co. Doesn't mean that they are easy to race. So it's just that extra 50k just makes that selection between the creme de la creme really and just kind of the rest of the pack to a certain degree. Exactly. It's the same if you go cycling with a pro. 
and you just feel great the first 80 kilometers and then from kilometer 160 to 190 you just wish you wouldn't have done that right even yeah. if you ride on flat roads wide roads uphill or down doesn't really matter it's just a question of uh, your capacity and training you did before and with which talent you got born i guess and just looking ahead to sunday again Vagovam, uh the weather looks pretty good how much of a factor is the weather in that race? Is it, a, is it more of a factor than, than say, Flanders or Roubaix? Yes. Uh, with the weather, I would uh, say wind. doesn't matter if it rains or not. Or, but the wind plays a huge factor. Uh, obviously, if the wind would be as if today, you will come uh, with a much bigger group to key sections. The roads will be as narrow as they are. Uh, hopefully, we don't crash or nobody crashes, of course. But uh, that's going to play a, a role. And then later on, uh, it's difficult to make the selection last 40k without wind. So their echelons play a huge factor, and it really comes down to the big fight between uh, a bunch sprint and kind of a reduced breakaway groups, really. I mean, what? Yeah, it's a question between 40 people and uh, a reduced group of three or five or six. Yes, the weather plays a big role in that race. Because that race, since it's become World Tour, is longer now, I and mean, it's almost a mm. monument-level distance. Mm. That obviously makes a big difference. It used to be called the Sprinter's Classic. Mm. Now it's, it's not like that anymore, is it? Oh, I, I don't know. Uh, you can ask a sprinter if he has good legs after 250 to set up his sprint, right? Uh, you will also, after that finish line, if you go to a guy and ask, hey, why did you finish seventh and not first? He probably will say, somehow I ran out of energy in the last 300 meters. So, yes, it's the same thing. It's the length. Just final question, Andres. Who, who do you see coming into this classic season, just the little things you've picked up over the last couple of weeks, some of the bigger races? Who do you see really having that little sparkle in their legs right now? It's the usual sp- uh, It's it's the usual riders. I could mention now 15, right? And I forget probably two. Mm. Um, so no standout or kind of surprise that you've seen so far? For me personally, not, no depends how much knowledge you have and how many names you want to name now of course but uh, if you say whatever Magnus Kurt Nielsen good cyclist or what a surprise for me not really right uh, and so on so for your team the tactics going to be to follow the right wheels or, or are you guys strong enough to be like the protagonist in those decisive moments let's see Let's see. Let's first wait today what we're going to do, where we finish, and then we go from there. So, real quick, we put you on the spot. Last question. Who's going to win today? Harold Becker. Seriously, hopefully one of us. Okay. And on Sunday? Sprinter. Sprinter. Yep. There you have it. All right. Thanks, Andreas. Appreciate it. All right, Hoodie. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, we may have to clean up in the old um, junior high school tech room. But, uh, hey, listeners, stay with us. We're going to be uh, broadcasting multiple podcasts throughout uh, Classics Classics Week, Classics Two Weeks. We're going to be here through Pyro Roubaix. We're going to be Flanders, Skilda Prize, all the big races. And uh, myself and Mr. Hood will be breaking down the action. So thanks for tuning in to the Vel News Podcast. And we will talk to you guys in a couple days.